0: that I would introduce uh, a passage for you this morning and then be in a series uh, Sunday night through Wednesday night. I love preaching through series and through parts of books or topics, whatever the case might be. And uh, so that didn't happen, so we're going to be going from place to place, no particular series or progression that I'm going to follow this week. We're just trying to be sensitive to the Lord and and uh, preach where we believe the Lord would have us to preach. And I can tell you this, that God's Word still changes lives. And God's Word still speaks to those who will hear. Absolutely. And so I'm looking forward to the time together. All right, we're going to begin reading in verse number 18. If you don't mind standing for the reading of the Word, that would be good. If you need to remain seated, that's fine. We're going to start reading in verse 18. I'll give a little explanation of what's going on after we have read our text. We're kind of catch up on just a little bit of a background here. Verse number 18 <clears throat> says, Then come unto him, to Jesus, the Sadducees, which say there is no resurrection. And they asked him, saying, Master, Moses wrote unto us, if a man's brother die, and leave his wife behind him, and leave no children, that his brother should take his wife and raise up seed unto his brother. Now there were seven brethren, and the first took a wife, and dying left no seed. And the second took her and died, neither left he any seed, and the third likewise." And the seven had her, and left no seed. Last of all, the woman died also. In the resurrection, therefore, when they shall rise, whose wife shall she be of them? For the seven had her to wife. And Jesus answering said unto them, Do ye not therefore err? Now you can pronounce that word one of two ways, err err. Either way, I'm doing the preaching, it's err today. My wife says it's err, which is why I stick with err. Okay? Alright, so let's try that again. Jesus answering said unto them, Do ye not therefore err, because ye know not the Scriptures, neither the power of God? For when they shall rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are As the angels which are in heaven, and as touching the dead, that they rise, have ye not read in the book of Moses how in the bush God spake unto him, saying, I am the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob? He is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. Ye therefore do greatly err. Father, we pray your blessings now upon the reading of thy word. I pray that you would help us, Lord, as we uh, consider this passage that is before us. I pray, O God, that we might profit and benefit. I, I come here as a guest preacher at Riverside Baptist Church. And many of the people I've been acquainted with and know to some degree, there are others that this may be the first time we are meeting. I can't possibly know where everyone is and what the needs of the hearts of every person, what they might be today. But you know. Your word says that you know all men and that you need not that any should testify to you of man because you know what is in man. And so that would be true of every person that is in this assembly today So I'm asking that your Holy Spirit would do what only can be done by the working and the power of your blessed Holy Spirit, and that is to make this profitable in every heart and life, to convince those that are without Jesus of their need of salvation, to encourage those that do know you in salvation to follow your word and your will. And I pray, oh God, that you'd get glory to yourself from this service. In Jesus' wonderful name, amen. Amen. God bless you. May be seated. I came on to a quote that I'm going to use right now. And then I will tell you the individual that gave the quote. Only because it's ethical and right that I do so. And the quote is this. Life is deep, yet simple. And what society gives us is shallow and complicated. He said, life is deep. I think I'm amongst people that would agree with that. Deep means significant. Life has great significance. Many people struggle with that question all around this world. But until they come to realize that our life exists because of the Creator God, they will never understand how significant life is. So life is deep and yet simple. And the society gives us answers for the issues of life that are both shallow and make life more complicated. Now that's a fact. That is a great quote. It truly is. You know who gave it? A great theologian. Well, maybe not. Fred Rogers of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. You know, I hesitate to give you that information because you probably think I used to watch Mr. Rogers for sermon material and to know what to preach. That didn't happen. I just happened onto that quote And Mr. Rogers was right on about this, that life is deep yet simple, and the answers that the world or that society would give us to deal with the issues of life are both shallow and make life more complicated. That's true. And I think one of the reasons I like that quote so much is because it goes so well with something I've said for a long, long time. And I have uh, come to this conclusion as a result of not only living life myself, but being a pastor and trying to deal with people and help people and be a blessing as much as I could, I came to this conclusion that life need not be nearly as complicated as people make it. Now that is a fact, same thing Mr. Rogers was saying, I think that's why I took to the quote so well, is that life is often made far more complicated than it needs to be. Uh, There's an individual that used to counsel, was a biblical counselor back in Oklahoma City. Brother Marshall knew him well. He may have spoken here, for all I know, at some point or another, Brother Mike Hayes. And Brother Mike Hayes was a biblical counselor for 40 years or something like this, and he worked very hard at what he did. And one day, Brother Mike and I, before he went to home to be with the Lord, he and I were having breakfast together and we were talking and I was going over some circumstances and situations with him about people I was trying to help. And he said to me, Brother Sam, he said, I believe that some people start when they're about five years old and are determined to see how messed up they can be by the time they're 25 because nobody could get in the shape they're in without some kind of plan." Now that may be humorous a a little bit, I laughed about it, but it's actually fairly sad that it seems like there are some people that are determined to make life very complicated by the decisions that they make. Now the reason I mention all of that is because Jesus brings that up in our text. He really does. What is taking place here, if you could use your imagination and picture this is oversimplifying it a little bit. But picture a lineup of people that are going to talk to Jesus in hopes of, quote, catching him in his words. In other words, uh, the popularity of Jesus had spread everywhere. His fame was known all abroad. Uh, There were many that had come to him and had come to him in salvation. The officialdom of Israel did not believe and most of the Jews did not believe. And so what you have here is an effort to, quote, Catch Jesus in his words. Those are the words that are actually used down in verse number 13. And when it means uh, when it says catch him in his words, it means try to find some fault with what he's saying, try to get him in a position to where he can't get away or he'll have to contradict himself. They're trying to find fault with what Jesus is teaching. Now, if you're a lover of Jesus Christ and the Bible, you're saying, good luck with that. Because Jesus could handle the questions <laughs> and he did very, very well. So picture a lineup of those that are waiting their turns. Uh, the uh, list that is given us here in the Word of God is the Sadducees, uh, I'm sorry, the Pharisees, and the Herodians, and the Sadducees. Now those were the main religious groups of the Jews of that particular day. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, uh, the uh, Herodians, and the Sadducees. And then it says, down in verse number 28, that after they took their shot... At trying to find Jesus in fault, then a a scribe comes to them and asks him a question, and he too is doing the same, trying to find Jesus in fault, which they could not, and he could not. Uh, our text has to do with what the Sadducees said. Now, the thing we have to understand about the Sadducees uh, that's made clear to us in the Bible is that the Sadducees—it's mentioned here—they do not believe in a resurrection. They do not believe in life after death. They do not believe in a resurrection. Acts 23 says they do not believe in angels and they do not believe in spirit life. Which angels, you know, are ministering spirits unto those that are the heirs of salvation. And so they refuse, they totally reject the notion that there could be a resurrection or life after death. They also deny that there could be such a thing as angels or Spirit life. They deny all three. So in order to catch Jesus at the word at his words, then they come to him and they have this hypothetical situation that they present to Jesus and they use the law of Moses to bring this up. See, Moses taught what they say here: the law, what we call the law of the leveret or the law of the brother-in-law. This is taught in the book of Leviticus. It's also repeated in the book of Deuteronomy. And it would be that if a man uh, marries a woman and he dies having left no seed, then his next brother was obligated to take her and to bear a child by her, and that child would then to, be, uh, to carry on the name of the deceased. And so it's counted as a curse to them if a man died childless because there's nobody to carry on his name. And so the Sadducees come to him and say, "So, uh, Master, we know what Moses said, uh, verse number nineteen, that if a brother die, then his uh, if a man die, then his brother is to take his wife and bear a child by her. It's called the law of the brother in law. The law of the leveret is the word that has to do with being a brother in law." And so here's what happened, Master. A man took a wife, and, and unfortunately he died and left no seed. So his next brother did what he was supposed to do and took the wife. But unfortunately he also died and left no seed, as did the third. And then you saw, it goes all the way through all seven brethren. Now, this is a hypothetical situation. They knew of no such case, but they're trying to trap Jesus in the Word, so they make this story up, this hypothetical situation. Now, Master, now, now all seven had her, and none of them uh, bear a child, and they all died. Now, Master, can I read between the lines here and get you to do it with me? Now, Master, I think the, in concerning this resurrection thing, there are some things you haven't thought about here. And now, Master, in this resurrection, which they did not believe in. Is everybody with me here? There you go, going quiet on me just like I predicted a while ago. Is everybody with me here? So, uh, Master, now in this situation that we have here, in this resurrection, when they shall (laughs) rise, whose wife? Will she be? Because they all had her to wife. Now I have a wild imagination. I picture that when the Sadducees, there must have been about five of them. Why five? I don't know. You have to have a number, so I pick five. So about five of them, and they have presented this to Jesus, and they said, whose wife shall she be in this resurrection that they did not believe in? Whose wife shall she be? And I think right there they were high-fiving each other. I think they were saying, watch this. This could be the end of his ministry. He won't have any clue what to say. He is done right here because he never thought about this. (laughs) We got him here. He never thought about this. Now, How many of you believe at the moment Jesus is saying, oh my, what am I going to say now? And he's really worried. No, you know Jesus better than that, don't you? As a matter of fact, when Jesus answers, he answers with great assurance and with great confidence. And I want you to see what he says down here in verse number 23 where they said, In the resurrection, therefore, when they shall, they don't believe in it, rise, whose wife shall she be of them for the seven headed to wife? And Jesus answering said unto them, Do ye not therefore er, stop, Aren't you men led astray? That's what er means. Aren't you men misguided? Hasn't something taken you or someone, taken you away from what is real and what is true and what is factual? And so Jesus turns it right around on them, and he says, actually, you're the ones that have the problem. Actually, you're the ones that are misguided. You are the ones that are in error. You are the ones that have been taken aside from what is true. And then Jesus begins to answer them. And he tells them, now look down in verse number 25. For when they shall rise from the dead. Now, hold on just a second. We don't believe in the resurrection of the dead. Well, the answer to that is so? Right. If people don't believe in the resurrection of the dead, what does that mean? There won't be one? No, I meet people all the time, and you may too, if you try to do any witness and talk to people that they don't believe in God. Well, what, is He going to go away because somebody doesn't believe in Him? God is, period. That's it. And there are people that don't believe the Bible. You don't believe the Bible? You don't believe in the authority of the Word of God? It doesn't change the Word of God. It'll sure mess your life up, but it won't mess the Bible up. Somebody help me, please. And so what he is saying to them? He said, for when they shall rise. Did you notice there's no flinch here? And there's no apology on the part of Jesus because the resurrection is a fact. He said, for when they shall rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are as the wait. We don't believe in angels. So what does that mean? They don't exist? They don't believe in angels, but angels still exist. How in the name of common sense could a person read the Old Testament and not believe in the existence of angels? I mean, come on, we could go to story after story, account after account after account, where the angels of God, these ministering spirits for those to the heirs of salvation, they are actively involved in the purposes of God in doing the bidding of God and doing the will of God. Oh, yes, they are. And Jesus, and they said to him, Jesus said to them, but they are as the angels which are in heaven. So Jesus answers them about the resurrection and the angels, and he says to them that uh, in this matter of the marriage, he said, no, no, you don't understand. Uh, if you understood, you would realize that on the other side, there is not the marriage relationship as we know it here. Because on the other side, there is no marriage and there is no giving in marriage. My oldest sister, her husband died. They were married 62 years. And uh, she said to me one day, Sam, I was reading in the Bible, and uh, she said, it says that uh, in the resurrection, there's no marriage nor given in marriage. And I said, right, well, yeah. I know right where that is. She said, uh, well, um, so when I go to heaven, Norman won't be my husband? I said, well, in heaven we'll be as the angels are, and there's no marriage nor giving in marriage. Well, I know it says that, but what's it going to be like? And I said, what does the Bible say it's going to be like? Well, that's all it says. I said, so what do you want me to say? (laughs) Uh, We get in trouble saying more than the Bible says, you know. Now I can say this, it's going to be right. And that's what I told her. I said, it's going to be right. What do you think? There are people up there saying, oh my, there's no marriage? I wish I was back down there. I don't think so. No, I don't think that's going to happen. I don't see anything in the Word of God that would make us think that's going to happen. That somebody's going to go to heaven and they're going to be disappointed in the circumstances that they have when they go to be with the Lord. It doesn't mean that we won't recognize each other. I am very confident that my wife's uh, mother and dad, who have both gone to be with the Lord, are mindful of each other. I am very confident that my dad and my mother are very mindful of each other. I do am very confident that there is recognition, that there is fellowship, that there is joy, there is gladness. But are they married like they were here? I don't know. Well, I do know this. They won't be getting married, and they won't be given in marriage. And they won't be giving in marriage because it will not be there like it is here. And they never read anything in the law of Moses that made them come up with this kind of question to make them un- uh, try to think that marriage should be there on the other side like it is here. They, Moses never said that. Jesus never said that. Nobody ever said that. They're working all this up in their doubting and unbelieving minds. That's where they are. All right? Now look on. Somebody, in verse number 26, where he said, and as touching the dead, now now he's going to deal with the fact that they don't believe in a resurrection, and as touching the dead that they rise, Jesus said, have you not read in the book of Moses, you men claim to understand Moses, you brought him up, uh, in your earlier verses here, Uh, And as touching the dead, have you not read in the book of Moses how in the bush God spake unto him, saying, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob? Didn't you read that he is the God of the living? Excuse me, can I have your attention? God didn't come to the burning bush and say, I was the God of Abraham. I was the God of Isaac. I was the God of Jacob. He didn't say that. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob being already dead, he said, I am the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob. And so Jesus is exposing the foolishness, the folly of their thinking and their belief, and he said, I am the God. He is, verse 27, he is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. Ye do therefore greatly err. So concerning the resurrection, excuse me just a second, concerning the resurrection, he said, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. So have they died? Yes, they've died. Are they alive? Yes, I'm the God of the living. Is everybody with me here? Okay, so while their bodies are into the ground, they continue to exist. While their bodies are in the ground, they continue to live. While their bodies are in the ground, there is life after the body goes into the ground. And he says, You do greatly err. Now, what we want to focus on is why Jesus said they are in error. No, I mean, why are they in error? Well, because of what they said. No, but why do they not know what to say? Why are they so far removed from the truth? When they're talking about the condition... After this life, when they're talking about the existence of angels, why are they so far removed from the truth and from reality? We'll look down in verse number 24, and this is where the answer lies. Jesus answering said unto them, Do ye not therefore err? Because you know not the Scripture, neither the power of God. Now, my friends, I don't know how this could be more plain or more simple. If a person doesn't know the Scripture, they won't know the power of God. I'm going to run that by one more time give you a chance to say amen over here because I already got three over here. So if you don't know the Scripture, you can't know the power of God. And if you know the Scripture and embrace the truth of the Scripture then you will come to the right conclusion about the power of God. So that the resurrection is not a problem, it is rather an expectation. See, if we understand the Scripture. Now, here's the simplicity of this that I love so much. Jesus just breaks it down, and He says to us very clearly, if you want to be confused, if you want to have egg on your face like they do to this very day, I mean, the Sadducees went to try to make Jesus look foolish, Now, who looks like a fool here? And we're talking about it 2,000 years later. Come on, this is good stuff. We're talking about it 2,000 years later because Jesus turned it on them. And the reason that they came up so foolish and so far removed from the truth is very, very simple. They did not know the scripture, they did not know the power of God. Very, very simple. A.W. Tozer, an old preacher that's already gone to be with the Lord, he made this statement. He said, Satan's greatest weapon is man's ignorance of God's Word. Satan's, I don't know if it's his greatest weapon. I think that could be argued. Satan's greatest weapon is the man's ignorance of the Word of God. You don't know the Scripture, you won't know the power of God. If you don't know the scripture and you don't know the power of God, then you're going to come up with the kind of foolishness that they came up with. Master, a man had seven wives. Now whose wife will she be in the resurrection like that's a problem with God? I said like that's a problem with God. That's not a problem with God. Well, whoever told you that in the future that there would be, or whoever did you hear say that life will be hereafter like it is here, if you knew the Scripture and you knew the power of God. Now, what I've tried to do here is set this verse 24 in its context. Now, what I want to ask right now is this. Can you think of any issue in life, where this is not the answer in how to deal with it, know the Scripture, know the power of God. Know the Scripture, know the power of God. Think of some issue in life. Think of some issue where it is not the answer to go to the Scripture and know the Scripture and therefore trust and know the power of God. I'm just saying it is the answer, and if people don't know the scripture and they don't know the power of God, then they're going to be misguided, they're going to be led astray, they'll be taken away from the truth, which is what error means. If you don't know the scripture, for example, let me let me give an example. Let's take an example of the most fundamental issue in life. And that is what happens when you die. Where are you going when you die? Do you know there's not a culture on the planet that's not interested in that? What happens when a man dies? I said this is relevant to every culture, every tongue, every race, every language on earth. A living soul wants to know what happens when I die. And they try to find the answer apart from the scripture and the power of God. They'll never find the answer. Apart from the Scripture and the power of God. Well, Brother Sam, see, the thing, I'm not saying anybody in here is saying this. I'm not saying there's not anybody in here saying this. Well, Brother Sam, the thing of it is, I mean, if you just check around, you know, as a Baptist, you believe this, and there are Nazarenes that believe something else, and there are free will Baptists that believe something else, and there are Catholics that believe something else, and Episcopalians that believe something else, and Mormons that believe something else, and Jehovah's Witness that believe something else, and they all fly under the big banner of Christianity. And if you listen to enough radio and TV preaching, you'd find that everybody that believes in Jesus is a part of the invisible and universal church, which is quite a concept that didn't come from the Scripture nor the power of God. Well, that went over great, but it's still the truth. Absolutely the truth. And so, see, there's all these kind of ideas. Right. Did God create that problem? From the Bible, did, is this God's... Is He accountable for this? Uh, that there could be all these different ideas... If you've done any door knocking at all, you've said, well, you know, I just, I, I don't pay much to that because the to say this and go through all the line, and we could go on and on about what this one believes and that believes, you know, because there are all kinds of ideas. I picked up a man alongside the road a number of years ago, and I was passing him in Stillwater, and I he had a flat tire, it was the month of November, by the way, and it was a cold, rainy night, and there he was, and it was late at night, and I was wanting to get home, but What do you do? And I just felt like I had to stop and I stopped and I picked him up because he didn't have a spare and was going to go into town and get his tire fixed and then go back and put the tire on. So I had him in the car so I thought, why not take advantage of this? So I started talking to him about his soul and about the Lord. Come to find out, he said, I am an elder in the Church of the Firstborn. Which you may or may not know what that is, but in, you know, south of Stillwater, there's a big region there where they're thick. I mean, there's a lot of quote, Church of the Firstborn. And uh, so he said, uh, well, he said, no, I'm a Church of the Firstborn. And I said, okay, so let's say that you and I are driving along here and there's a car wreck and there's a man over here dying in the ditch and it looks like he's not going to make it. How are you going to tell him to get to heaven or to have his sins forgiven? He said, well, he'd have to come to our classes. (laughs) That's what Mormons say as well. He'd have to come to our classes. I said, no, no, he's going to die here in just a few moments. What are you going to tell him? He said, well, to be." I said, so what do you tell anybody how to be saved? Well, you got to understand from the classes, then you got to believe in Jesus, and then you have to be baptized by the authority of our church three times face down. And I said, say what? He said, three times face down, be baptized by the authority of our church. I said, that's interesting because I've been studying the Bible for a good part of my life. I wasn't as old then as I am now, but I've been studying the Bible since then too. And I've never seen that in the Bible. Well, you'd have to have some of our elders teach you about that. I said, yeah, I bet. (laughs) Because nobody would find that just reading the Word of God. Now would they? (laughs) No. But I have a brother that I love very much. But he's an elder in a denomination that believes, number one, you can't know you're saved. Number two, you have to be baptized by their church in order to go to heaven. Well, then there are others that believe, no, no, no. A guy told me, he said, you got to believe in Jesus. That's where it starts. you got to believe in Jesus and the death and the burial and the resurrection. And then you have to live a life that's worthy for a certain amount of time. It could be different for different people. And then all of a sudden you'll be sanctified and the Holy Ghost comes in and that's when you're finally saved. But you got to go through this. Believe in Jesus and then, and so I'm saying, come on, many would know the answer to that. You don't find that from the Bible. I said that is not what Jesus taught. That is not what the apostles taught. That is not a part of the apostles' doctrine. Oh well, no, you got to go and you got to go and there'll be a priest in there and, and you confess your sins to the priest and then you pay a certain amount of money, burn some candles and blah, and then he'll absolve your sin. Oh no, 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 that's not right. And excuse me, on and on it goes. Am I right or wrong? On and on it goes. See, that's why I'm not paying any attention to this because there's so much confusion out there. Friend, this is not confusing. It's made confusing when men know not the Scripture and the power of God to save sinners from their sin according to the Scripture. Paul said, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness... And going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. Did you hear what he said? There is such a thing in the mind of man as the righteousness of man. My own righteousness. The majority of the world is hoping for a wonderful afterlife based upon self-righteousness. I said the vast majority even of professing Christianity, is depending upon self-righteousness. And then there's the righteousness of God, which is by faith. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. If you think you're going to keep the law and be righteous, then he blows that away in Romans chapter 10 where he says that Christ is the end of the law to everyone that believeth in Jesus Christ. (laughs) So the law can't save anybody, never could, The law can show us our sinfulness. The law makes us aware of our need of a Savior. The law exposes our unjustness, our wickedness, our sin, our iniquity. That's what the law does. Reveals it. It can't save us from it. The apostle said uh, Moses spoke about it. And he did in the book of Deuteronomy. And and the Apostle Paul borrowed from Deuteronomy and said it's like this. It's like Moses said, nobody has to descend into the deep. or I'm sorry, nobody has to enter into heaven, that is, to bring Christ down from above. What, What does that mean? Well, nobody has to go get the Messiah or implore the Messiah to come. He's already come. I said nobody has to implore the Messiah to come. He's already come. He's already come and died for our sin. Yeah, the, the Bible says in St. Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21 that He became sin for us. He became the sin bearer. I said He who knew no sin. Jesus knew no sin. But He who knew no sin became the sin bearer for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Nobody has to go in and bring Christ down from above. Jesus already came. The holy, harmless Son of God. Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the Spirit, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up into glory. That's what the Apostle Paul said. This is the mystery of godliness. This is the revelation of God's, the mystery made known, the revelation of God's salvation. It's all in the person of Jesus Christ. And He came and did everything necessary for our salvation. And when He was on that cross, he said, it is finished. And he gave up the ghost and died and was buried. Paul said, nobody needs to descend into the deep as though they could bring up Christ from the dead. Why is he saying that? He's already risen. It's already done. Jesus died, was buried three days and three nights later. He ascended. He arose from the grave. And then in due time, He ascended back to the Father in heaven. And the apostle deals with the book of Hebrews chapter 7. And he said, Not only did He raise from the dead and ascend back to heaven, but He ever liveth to make intercession for the saints. And listen to this, And He is able to save to the uttermost them that come to God by Him. I'm just saying, according to the Scripture, here it is, according to the Scripture, Jesus did everything necessary for our salvation. He lived the sinless life holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners. He went to the cross and bare our sin in His own body on that tree. He was buried and raised again from the dead. He ascended to the right hand of the Father in heaven, able to save to the uttermost them that come to God by Him. If you don't know the Scripture, you'll be wandering around all over the place trying to know how to be saved. Well, this one says this and this one says that, and I'm going to do study with them, and I've, they've got another version, and they've got some books about what they teach, and this and that. When, excuse me, Jesus said, You can do that, and you'll be as confused as the Sadducees, who were in a state of confusion because of what? They knew not the Scripture, and not knowing the Scripture, they bypassed, went around, departed from the power of God. Know the scripture. Know the power of God. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Uh, for there is, uh, uh, the, as it is written, whosoever believeth in him shall not be ashamed. For there's no difference between the Jew and the Greek, but the same Lord over all. He's rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Well, it's on how you interpret that. What? I repeat, what? Interpret that? Don't interpret that? You believe that. You embrace that. You know the scripture. You know the power of God to save. I talked to a man in here that said he was 75 when he got saved. You realize how few people get saved past 50? I said, you realize how few people get saved past 50 years of age? Well, man, that's amazing a man gets saved when he's five, uh, 75. Well, I got saved when I was six took the same power of God to save me as it did Him. (laughs) It's the same way. Every time. All the time. Yeah. Know the Scripture. You know, it doesn't matter if your name is on the church roll here and you've been baptized till water's coming out your ears. If you haven't been saved like the Bible says to be saved, you're not saved. I I don't care whose book your name is in on this earth. I don't care what your mama says. Oh, no, no, you're saved. If you know in your heart you have never trusted Jesus for yourself to be your Savior, you need to get saved. You need to get saved. Well, that would be a very humiliating thing. I just glanced down at my wife. I married her. Went through three years of Bible college and one year of full-time ministry. And we're at camp and she heard the gospel, had had struggles in her soul and struggles about her salvation, had, had no peace that she was saved. She believed, called on Jesus, and is saved. Yeah. Hallelujah. She was uh, already married to a guy trying to be a preacher. It doesn't matter who you are, what your name is. How many people think you're saved. I can't stand preaching that tries to make saved people doubt their salvation. But neither do I think it's right for every professing believer not to be ready with an answer of assurance about your own salvation. And if you don't have it, don't play games with it. I said if you don't have it, don't play games about it. Know the scripture. Know the power of God to save now, that's that. Some people said I did that. And Brother Sam and I really believe I got saved. But I'm haunted by my past. You don't understand. I didn't get saved when I was six years old. I mean, I, when I got saved at six, I'd never cussed. I, didn't even, I don't even know if I heard a cuss word. I'd never killed anybody. I may have hit my sisters, but it was self-defense and I kind of justified that. You know? I didn't have a big long list of evil sins. But maybe somebody is here and said, No, my life, what I went through, I can't get I can't get the past I can't get past it. Excuse me. Know the scripture. Know the power of God. Know the scripture. Well I don't I don't know what good that would do me. Well it would tell you what God did with your sins. Uh, And He would teach you what forgiveness is. And He would teach you what redemption is. And He would teach you what being born uh, again is. A new creation in Christ Jesus. See, if you believe the Scripture and the power of God, He'll settle your past. I said He'll settle your past. It's under the blood Jesus paid for it. You can move on. Somebody says, yeah, but I was mistreated and I was abused. And there are plenty of people that have bitterness and anger in their heart. And you meet people that are carrying bitterness, and you know, they'll go back and talk about events of 20 and 25 and 30 years ago as though it happened yesterday and is still fresh on their mind. Uh, But I just can't get past that. I mean, I was so hurt. I was done so wrong. I just don't understand what am I supposed to do about that. I've gone to psychiatrists and I've gone to psychologists. Wrong avenue, friend. Know the Scripture. Know the power of God. You live in bitterness by your choice. He is able to take away your bitterness and your anger and your resentment and the hostility that you have towards somebody. And He'll remind you, if I've forgiven you, I've forgiven you. Do you think somebody sins against you? Are more horrendous than your sins against Him? I tell you no. Know the Scripture. He'll take care of that bitterness. You can be free from it. You don't have to live a slave to bitterness. Well, I know, but there's certain addictive behavior and there's certain sins of the flesh, and I just keep going back to them and I go back to them and I just don't know. I've gone for counseling and I've read books and I've done this. Excuse me, please. Know the Scripture. Know the Scripture. I was talk, preaching to the men's recharge this year, last year, two years ago. I can't remember exactly when I said this to them, but I said one of the best things that ever happened in my life as a young man was to memorize Romans chapter 6, 7, and 8. It talks about who we are in Jesus and our new relation not only to God, but to sin. And if you know the Scripture you'll know the power of God and there's the power of God that allows that sin doesn't rule your life. Sin has no dominion over you. People that live under the authority and dominion of sin do so by their own choice or their refusal to rest in the Scripture and the power of God. Yeah. Well, none of that's my problem. It's marriage. Oh, I'm glad you brought that up. Because the Bible has something to say about marriage. I said the Bible has some timeless truths to teach about marriage. I would have you to know, Paul said, I would have you to know that the head of every man is Christ, uh, the head of every woman is the man, and the head of every man is Christ, and the head of Christ is God. Now Paul wrote that in the book to the Corinthians. To the Corinthians, they understood very little about marriage. And he wrote that to the Corinthians. It lives in the Word of God. This means God's written it for our benefit as well. Come on, friend. And he said, I would have you to know that the head of every woman is the man, and the head of the man is Christ, and the head of Christ is God. You know what he is simply saying? No matter how much you might have bought into the way of the culture, no matter how much somebody might buy into the women's rights and the women's uh, movement of our culture and our society, no matter how many people have turned their backs on what the Bible says about marriage, He said, I would have you to know that no one walks upon this life without a responsibility to a higher authority, not even Jesus. Who came to do His Father's will. Him, in submission to His Father's will, establishes His authority or lordship in my life. He is my head. I am her head. I'd like to talk to her about that. You know, even if she got up and said, no more, nothing changes what the Word of God says. Are you listening to this? And when we line up with what the Word of God reveals about marriage, you can have a marriage. If you're going to kick at what God says and choose and pick what God says about marriage and kind of make it your own, you're on your own. How's it going? See? Yeah, well, that's not it. It's what we have children. How are we supposed to raise children in this day and time? The same way you're supposed to raise children in any day and time. According to the Scripture. And the power of God. I'm just, do, do we get it? There's not an issue. Well, I don't understand the financial insecurity. We could have a collapse of our economy. Well, there are people working hard at it. I said, apparently, there are people working hard to make that happen. Well, what are you supposed to do? Know the scripture, know the power of God. God's word never lies, God's word never fails lay hold on verses like you read this morning out of the book of Proverbs chapter 11 that I preached this last Wednesday night or Monday night or Sunday night or whenever it was at a missions conference. I mean it's a powerful look at those verses that have to do with the principles of God. Read where he says, seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. That's a very simple verse from Jesus and it'll rest your mind at ease in the midst of economic turmoil. Are are you listening to this? You're not going to come up with something that can't be answered like this know the scripture know the power of God know the scripture know the power of God we read this and say my 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 those Sadducees they were so messed up and so confused and so twisted (laughs) what was their problem Jesus told us they didn't know the scripture they didn't know the power of God you think Tozer might be right on to something When he said it could be that one of the Satan's or the adversary's greatest weapons is the ignorance of God's people regarding the word of God. Ignorant of God's word, not knowing. I didn't know, I don't know. Make it your business to know. Live in this book. Know the scripture. Know the power of God. Again, we acknowledge you know who's here. You know that life, it, it, you know if there is a life in this room that should they pass before they get home, before they leave this building, before they another day comes, if they should pass from this life, they would perish. You know, you know if that's so. I can't pass judgment, I can't say that it is or isn't so. I know that out of this many people, there's a strong likelihood that somebody is here that doesn't know salvation. And they may have already argued and convinced themselves. Well, in my opinion, well, I think, well, it should work like this. When your word is too clear, know the Scripture. Know the power of God. It could be there are people wringing their hands over the issues of our society, our culture, our world. And they fret. And their life is heavy. Not with a burden over iniquity and sin. Not over a desire to pray for the leaders of our country and pray for the, a revival in our country. Just Fear. Fear of demise, Fear of collapse of our freedoms. How are you supposed to deal with that? Oh God, know the scripture. Know the power of God. What Jesus told these Sadducees could be stated to every confused, worried, troubled soul on the planet. Know the scripture. You'll come to Jesus. Know the power of God. You'll believe the resurrection. Know God's ability to hold one up and see them through. Know the power of God to lead in the way everlasting. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be at work. If there's some people, maybe that have listened to more news than they've read your Bible. They've listened to more of the political debate that's going on and the state of our society then they've sought your word maybe there ought to be some this morning that come and say I need to be saved I want to accept what the Bible teaches about salvation. I want to know that my sins are forgiven. Others ought to come, maybe that are believers, and say, I want to lay these fears and these anxieties and these worries that I have. I want to lay them at the altar. I want to lay this confused life before God and return to the Word and return to the power of God in my life. Could be there's some reviving that needs to begin right now. You would know that. May your Holy Ghost to work according uh, work according to your perfect will. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together, shall we? We're gonna have a time.